Welcome to this week's podcast from the Eucliping Church. We hope you enjoy this message. That he is in this room right now. And the Spirit of God is moving. I'm going to invite everybody who can to stand to your feet. Stretch your hands up toward heaven. And begin to release that sound of faith and agreement. You can express it in the English. You can express it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But God wants you to begin to declare with your mouth a holy expectation of what he's about to do today. Come on, open up your mouth. You're holy, Lord. You're glorious, Lord. There's nothing that I need that you haven't already supplied. I thank you, God. It's in the atmosphere. It's mine for the taking. And I stretch out my faith today. And I pull it from your hand. Because, Lord, every good and every perfect gift comes from you. We acknowledge it today. We give you praise for it today. Now just glorify him today. Would you do it? Just bless his name. Ho rosi shike tatoro. Holy, 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 holy God. Mighty, mighty, mighty is your name. Come on, let's just mention the name of Jesus together. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we acknowledge that you're in the midst today. Hallelujah. Just turn to somebody, grab their hand, look them in the eye and say, Jesus is in the midst. Jesus is in the midst. You may be seated. You know what happens when Jesus is in the midst? The Savior's in the midst. The healer's in the midst. The miracle worker, he's right here. Whatever you need, Jesus is here to meet that need today. Hallelujah. So good to see everybody. How many of you have been with us at least one of the nights so far this weekend? Good. That's a lot of you. I'm glad because we've been trying to lay down a foundation because as you heard me say, I really believe it's time for the church to be released to do the works of Christ. And he's empowering us, he's teaching us, he's, he's stretching our faith. But this morning, I wanted to deal with something I don't hear too many people teach on. It's not a popular Sunday morning message, so leave it to a shambuck. <clears throat> but if you are going to go out into the streets, or maybe even just next door, you're going to have to know that you're not just dealing with a flesh and blood enemy. In fact, most of the time, you're not dealing with a flesh and blood enemy. You're dealing with the unseen world. And we have to have a little bit of education about that, and I'm going to try to get that started, but I really pray that the Lord, as you are fine-tuning 
that spirit of discernment, that gift of discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit, that God will begin to show you through Scripture. And as you begin to pray, God will begin to reveal to you the enemy that you are confronting, even in your own life and in your own household. So um, today I want to uh, talk about confronting the unseen world. I was uh, invited to come to speak at Mark Sharona's church. I think it was last year, early in the fall. And I had a great power message pre to preach in his church. And I'm, I'm on my way there. This is the day before I'm supposed to speak. And he called me and he says, hey, Donna. I said, uh-oh. He says, you know, I've been teaching on uh, demonology. I've been doing a series on it. And do you think you could continue that series? I said, Mark, you want me in a day's time to develop a message on demonology? Thanks. So he's, oh, you can. I said, all right. So I just went to prayer. And some of the things that I'm going to share with you today were a direct response from God to the things I was praying about. And these are elemental things things that we should know, but quite frankly, there are a lot of people that forget them or they've never learned them. So let's talk about how, what it is when we, I say devil, demon, you know we're talking about an evil spirit that the enemy uses as his henchman, and he uses them, he releases them against God's people. He works, he uses them to possess the minds and bodies and spirits of unsaved people. And so in our generation, we are facing a demonized society. We cannot confront them in our own flesh. We have to confront them in the power of the Holy Spirit. My dad used to love to tell the story of when he was apprenticing with A.A. A. Allen A.A. Allen had great notable miracles, and oftentimes he worked in the word of knowledge, long prayer lines. This one night, Dad said there was a woman who was demon-possessed. She had about 13 devils in her. And Brother Allen, looking over the line that he had to, to pray for people, he said, Shambach, this one's yours. And Dad said, oh, no, you the man, you the man. He says, no, this one's yours, Shambach. And Dad said he knew, and in fact, Brother Allen said to him, he said, I'm never going to have anybody working with me that doesn't know how to cast out a devil. So <laughs> Dad said he got six of the biggest gospel singers he could find. He said he got about a half a dozen pastors, and they all went to the prayer tent. And he said he spent about six hours saying, in the name of Jesus, and I command you to come out. And he did everything he saw Brother Allen do. And the singers were singing. And he said about 1 o'clock in the morning, half of the singers were gone. All the preachers were gone. And he said, the devil, when he said, I command you to come out, the devil spoke and said, I'm not coming out. Dad said, I felt like saying, all right, brother, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> and then one of the devils, about, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, the devil said, we will wear you out. 
He said, oh, God, he said we. <laughs> and he didn't know how close to truth he was because he said sweat was pouring off of him, up out of his shoes. He didn't know what to do. But he said all of a sudden he felt a mantle come on him. And out of his mouth came, Satan, my elder brother Jesus put his foot on your neck 2,000 years ago. And the devil said, don't say that. Dad said, I got him. <laughs> and he said it even louder. I said, my elder brother Jesus put his foot on your neck 2,000 years ago. You see, what was happening? The spirit of God. The authority of God was coming into his spirit, and he was declaring what God was saying. It's not what Shambach was saying. It's what God was saying. And he said those devils began to come out, and he, he said that woman was kind of all, you know, exhausted and limp, and he thought they were all gone. And finally he heard, we all gone. He said, oh, that's the last one, the lying spirit. Come on out in Jesus' name. And by the end of that evening, she was speaking in other languages filled with the Holy Spirit. See, every one of us has to learn how to confront the devil. We can believe in casting out devils, but we have to learn our authority. We have to learn how to recognize when a, a demon is in operation. And so let's break down some of this this morning. Let's talk about a few generalities. And I've been encouraging you to take notes, however you do that. A few generalities about demons. Just generally, John 10.10, we know it. Hell is determined to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if you examine your own life, if you examine your family and you see that something that used to be there spiritually is gone, it's been stolen, it's been hijacked, then you know that's the work of the enemy. Doesn't mean you're demon-possessed, but it does mean there's been spiritual activity that needs to be addressed. You hearing me? If you have an unrelenting, attack against your body, or it seems like you've had one calamity after the next, and it, there is what is called a buffeting spirit. We can think, and I've heard many people say, oh, I'm just being tested. Oh, this is a tribulation God wants me to walk through. See, this is where we need the power of the Holy Spirit, because God is not the author of stealing, of death, that's the fingerprint of the devil. And so we have to recognize that there are buffeting spirits that come against us that keep us locked up. And, and it could be everything from accidents to financial issues to sickness, one sickness after the other. We have to learn. And if we don't know, we say, God, show me what I'm dealing with. Show me what I'm dealing with because I want to get rid of this thing. This thing is not welcome in my household. And so I believe that's where we begin. Now, Colossians 1, 19 to 22, this is the opposite. This is what God wants to do. For it pleased the Lord that in him, that is Jesus, 
all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, God is a reconciler. God is a God who brings peace. God is a God who brings holiness. What is holiness? It's a wholeness of mind, of spirit. There's nothing. What Jesus said, the devil has nothing in me. That's what holiness is. There's, the devil has no peace of me. And so this is what God is always wanting to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we pray in our prayer language. This is why we worship daily, because there's a renewal in our spirits. He's, he's bringing a peace. He's bringing a wholeness. He's getting rid of the old, and, and he's bringing in the new. Hallelujah. So God is a reconciler, but the enemy is a destroyer. In fact, the enemy's goal, I want you to write this down. His goal is to completely wipe out any vestige of God in you and to destroy what God loves. See, God loves you so much, he created you in his own image. And young people, I want you to hear me. It may sound a little bit religious or it may sound a little too traditional, but there are things that this culture has gotten so used to that we don't even know the roots, the demonic roots of them. And it's because the enemy wants to take that peace, that sanctification, that glory of God on you, and he wants to strip it off of you. Now, I'm going to mention some things, and I don't say them to condemn anybody, but I want you to understand it. Everybody and their cousin and their grandmother is tattooed today. And they keep getting more and more of them. They cut into the skin. They change their, their visage. They change the way their body looks. It was an ancient ritual. And in fact, I just saw somebody very famous get a tattoo. And where he was, the person that gave it to him said, we believe that when we cut into your skin, the spirit of our God comes into you. But we just say, oh, you're just religious, you're old-fashioned, you just don't want, you know, you're from an older generation. Listen, we cannot be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We don't want any of the alignment with him. I'm going to preach to the wall a little bit. Before God called me to preach, I just started my teaching career in Cincinnati. I had no thought in my head about preaching, but I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I had some neighbors move in across the hall. They were from India. I don't know what sect they were, but the lady had a little red thing in the middle of her forehead. Very sweet. They came into my house, and they brought me a gift. And it was one of these faces 
with the thing here and the tongue hanging out. And I looked at it, and I immediately knew what it was, and I said, well, thank you. I couldn't wait till they left because already my spirit was doing this. It was like bouncing all over the place, and I heard God say, get rid of it now. I said, well, I'll throw it in the trash. She said, you take the trash and you put it in the dumpster. Get it out of here now. Because I know now there was a demon spirit in that thing. See, we've got to be people that understand. We, we all go on cruises. We love to go to the little places. We see the little mask, you know, whatever. Oh, that's cute. I want the art. But we haven't got the discernment to recognize that a lot of those things are fetishes. Those are things that have been offered up to false gods. And we are a people who should come out of the world and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And we wonder why if we have certain things in our home. We wonder why there seems to be an unrest or we fight all the time or there's sickness in our household. We got to do sometimes a spiritual house cleaning. I was an English teacher. And at the time, I was about 21 or 22, single, and uh, just wanted to be married. I loved romantic novels, and I also loved to read everything brand new because I wanted to keep up in literature. And I saw a shift happen in literature where suddenly now scenarios were very explicit. Language was very explicit. Scenarios of relationships, very explicit. And God spoke to me, and he says, I don't want you to read that stuff any longer. I said, but I'm an English teacher. You know, when God says, talk to the hand, you know it's serious. But see, he was protecting me. He was letting me know that if I open my eye gates to something, it can enter in, it can become a stronghold in my life. Is anybody hearing me? So we have to be people who understand that the devil's goal is to take away any bit of God's image in our life. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, give no place to the devil. In other words, we're the one who gives up territory. But it's like kind of like, you know how the world says, I want a piece of you? That's what the devil's saying. I want a piece of you. And there's been so many people in our culture. Can I make it plain today? They've slept with everything on the block for years, and they don't realize that everyone they come in union with, they come in union with their devils. They come in union with their spirits, everything else. And the devil, every time we give somebody a piece of us, he gets a piece of us. And that stuff, you say, well, is there any hope? Yeah. Repent. Say, God, I don't want to give place to the devil. I ask you to forgive me of everything I've done that has brought shame to my body. I want the visage of God on my life. I want to be holy and pure. Your Holy Spirit is the only one that can make me that way. I need to be set free. And I've seen it over and over, people who've been promiscuous, 
It affects their marriage. It affects their relationships. It affects their emotions. Many of them have psychiatric issues because they've allowed demon spirits to have entrance into their life. Give no place to the devil. So the devil is a strategist, and I'm going to try to get through this quickly. But I'm just going to go through and list how the enemy employs his henchmen, demon spirits, to carry out the, the goal of demoralizing you, stripping you of the visage of God, and rendering you impotent to be used of God. Say, why? Because I'm all wrapped up in myself and my problems. I can't get past my fears. I can't get past my sleeplessness. I can't get past my health issues. When you can't get past those things, how can God use you to do other things for him? You see, that's why the enemy's got a strategy to take you out. So let's talk about some of them. There are demons that torment, tormenting spirit. If you hear voices, if you always hear a voice that says you'll never be good enough, you can never be forgiven, you've committed the unpardonable sin, you hear voices that try to keep you from the presence of God, those are tormenting spirits. There are lying spirits. And you can see this in a variety of ways. You see it in people who are uh, perpetual liars. That's, that's a spirit that's taken over that person's mind, and they, they can't do anything but lie. But there are also lying spirits that speak into our ears. And I like to call those seducing spirits because seducing spirits try to get us to believe a lie and try to get us to believe that what is evil is good. And I believe this is one of the greatest spirits that has been released in this generation because so many people believe a lie. And I don't have time to go into that. There are afflicting spirits, spirits that come against you to hinder. And we can deal with that easily. You just tell them to get out of your house. You know, I'm somebody who believes in several things. Number one, if there seems to be an area or a stronghold in the house or there comes a buffeting spirit or afflicting spirit, first thing I like to do, I keep communion in my refrigerator. The first thing I do, get out the grape juice and get out the crackers. And I say, Lord, everything that you promised me It was paid for by your blood. I was healed by your body. You broke the power of the devil's hand in my life. I'm in covenant relationship with you. And by your blood, I say, the devil has no advantage over me. And in your name, I tell him, be gone. You're not welcome in this household. We have to begin to stand up and use the authority that comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times those afflicting spirits we see in chronic diseases and attacks on our bodies. Now, I will say, not every sickness or disease is caused by a demon spirit. This is why we need to have the discernment of spirits to know what's going on. 
In Matthew 12, 22, Jesus cast the devil out of somebody who was blind and mute. So it was the demons that was causing that issue. In Matthew chapter 17, remember the disciples could not cast the devil out of an epileptic boy. But Jesus said, because of your lack of faith. And he immediately dealt with the situation. And epilepsy was healed. Does that mean that every epileptic is demon-possessed? No. That's why we need the discerning of spirits. Anybody with me? In Ephesians 6, 12, and I've had an apple out of this bag several times. Uh, the Bible, and Paul wrote about this. He should know because I'm sure he confronted it a lot. There are ruling spirits. Ruling spirits have territorial control. That's why if you go into a neighborhood and it's known for drugs and poverty and it's known for prostitution or it's known for whatever, those are spirits that have made their home there and it's a really tough spirit to cast out, but it can be done. And church, this is one thing we're going to have to learn how to confront because the devil's always trying to encroach on God's property, on you, on your household, on your neighborhood. And that's why it's good to get out and walk in the neighborhood, not just for health reasons. <laughs> but you don't have to scream at the top of your lungs, but while you're walking, I forbid drugs to come into my neighborhood. We can walk and pray. We can use our feet. I love the story of Joshua where God told him, if you obey me and if you hear me, every bit of ground that the soles of your feet tread upon, I'm going to give it to you. But we've been hiding in our house. We've been locked down for two years. We've been afraid of a little devil called virus. We've allowed him to whip us. And, and the devil has us just where he wants us. But it's time we shake off that virus devil, that lying spirit, and say, uh-uh, I'm I'm getting out in the neighborhood. I'm taking back the territory. You squatting demons, you're gone in Jesus' name. Let the church be the church. The truth anyhow. Hallelujah. There are principalities which are the hierarchy of demons. That's why a lot of times when you're praying, you feel like your, hit, your prayers hit the ceiling. It feels like the first time you prayed, nothing happened. You're dealing with sometimes ruling spirits and, uh, and principalities, and you got to keep breaking through and the power of the Holy Spirit with the blood of Jesus, telling the devil he's got to go. Sometimes it takes time to break through. Are you hearing me? I'm just giving you an overview right now. There are unclean spirits. And a lot of times these are impressed, expressed in overt sensuality, overt sexuality, um, perverse sexuality. Anything that's anti-Christ or anti the word of God, those things can be driven by unclean spirits. 
Now, there's a reason why they're called unclean, not just because they make us unclean, but I've seen it over the years. I remember a woman, and it, it's kind of, you know, as a kid, you kind of laugh at when you see things like this, but as an adult, you think, how horrible. There was a woman that used to come into our church. She had multiple unclean spirits, but she almost looked, and, and I say this with all humility, she looked almost like the animal, a pig. She was hunched over, and she had the sound of a pig. She would constantly make that snorting noise. And she was caked in filth and dirt. And you could see that those demons took any visage of God, and he tried to make it into the image of the devil. It was the most unusual thing I saw, but it was a picture of what an unclean spirit is doing on the inside of us. He wants to transform us. Sometimes you can smell them. And I don't know how to explain that. Just it's, it's a scent that you can pick up in the spirit. You know when you walk in, the atmosphere just changed. And you can smell the demonic. So spirits can be perceived. I'm talking about being perceived by the Spirit of God. There's, that's what the discerning of spirits is. Discerning of spirits also is discerning the Spirit of God. So it was that of God, or what is that, was that of the devil? And sometimes, and pastors have to operate in this too, because there's not just the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the devil, there's also the Spirit of man. So if you've heard people from the old used to say, that's nothing but the flesh, that means that's people whose their flesh, their, the humanness is dominating them. They're trying to act religious, but they're just calling attention to themselves. So how we deal with people is going to be based on what we're perceiving. Does that make sense to you? So we have to learn these things. We have to get an understanding of these things. All right, turn to Judges chapter 6. I want to show you a scriptural passage that is a great illustration of what the devil does to us when we allow him to have territory in our life. Judges chapter 6, start at verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living today. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. 
So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Keep reading. There's a lot in this. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. I want to break this down because it really is such a picture of the progression of how the enemy gains ground in our life. See, when God starts to bless us, and we live in miracles, we see the favor of God, if we don't live in a conscious state of gratitude and thankfulness and worship, we can get to the place where we take everything for granted, that because I'm saved, it's always going to be this way, and then we can get comfortable in doing things like the world does them. I see it in the younger generation especially those who maybe they had an experience with Christ at an altar when they were young. But when they get into college and they get into certain types of music, certain types of entertainments, they start hanging out at the bars. They get hung up with the bouncers in the bar. They have relationships. They get beat up. They have kids out of wedlock. And everything that God wanted to do in their life has been stripped from them because they forgot one important lesson. He is the Lord, our God. And don't pick up worshiping the gods of the pagan. This is how Israel opened themselves up to a situation where they couldn't live in their houses because of fear. They had to live in the hills, dig out caves. They were hungry. Their crops were stolen. Their animals were stolen. They got to such a place of desolation that finally they got a clue and cried out to God. And when you look at this passage, and you can read it on your own, it's a good study. God had his hand on Gideon. And Gideon was a lot in a situation, a lot like where the church is today. He was cowering in fear, hiding in a wine press, <laughs> when the angel of the Lord showed up. Hey, mighty man of valor. Gideon says, Who's he talking to? Because Gideon had just gotten done saying, where is the God of our fathers? Where are all the miracles? And God was about to show up and show him that the problem is not with him. <laughs> the problem is not with God. He never lost his power. He's still on the throne. He can take care of business. The issue is in the hearts of God's people. And so Gideon 
His first assignment before he went to war was to go to his daddy's house, risk his life, and tear down the altar to Baal. And in doing that, they did want to kill him. But in doing that, he got a new name. Hallelujah. He was the one who can confront Baal and win. And I believe with all of my heart, God wants to put a new name on this generation. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got to have enough fortitude to say, there's no Baal in my house. There's no worship of any idol in my house. I'm going to strip my household of anything that looks like the world. This is Jesus' house. Hallelujah. I'm setting up an altar to Jesus again. And this house is going to be known as a house that worships him. My father was blown away one time when he pastored in Newark. A little lady came to him in the middle of winter. She said, Brother Shambach, you got to come see what the Lord did. He said, what are you talking about? You got to come to my house. He said, well, tell me. She said, nope, you got to see it for yourself. So he said to my mother, he said, come on, we're going to go after church. And he said, when he saw her house, he had to get down on his knees in the snow because it was such a supernatural work of God. That house was a row house. And the night before church, a fire was lit at the end of the row. The fire took out every house to the left of hers. It jumped over her house. Took out every house to the right of her house. It was so dramatic, her neighbors were coming and yelling at her. Why did your house not burn? How come you were spared? She said, the only thing I can tell you is this house belongs to Jesus. Ain't no gambling in this house. Ain't no drinking in this house. Ain't no whoremonging in this house. This belongs to Jesus. You see, there is a thing called consecration. There is a thing where we sanctify our bodies. We sanctify our minds. We sanctify our households. We sanctify our lives. Why? Because we want to give no place to the devil. And if we want to confront the enemy, we got to confront it first in our own lives. Anybody hearing me today? I hear you thinking. Turn to Luke 8, chapter 26. You see, once we deal with the enemy that comes against us, we can start taking territory. And I believe that's what we're getting to. I'm looking at faces around this room, by the way. You already know what I'm talking about, and you're already doing it. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. I see you. Luke 8, 26. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. 
as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. You see that stripping? That's the sign of the devil. Homeless, no home, naked. And as we read, you'll see that he had also lost his mind. Verse 28, as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Therefore, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the, the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd suit gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who'd been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. This one blows my mind. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. You see, what we're seeing is a territorial ruling spirit. In the people, deep-seated with fear, afraid of the power of God. But what's your first clue? The Bible said as soon as Jesus put his foot over the boat and stepped on the ground, the demon started to scream. You see, Jesus was invading his territory. And this is a picture of what God wants from you and me that we recognize when we've dealt with the spiritual bondage in our own life, that when we walk, we've got Holy Ghost in our feet. We got the name of Jesus in our feet. We're not just walking casually, but we're walking determined. When we enter a place, we're saying to the devil, I'm coming after you. I'm evicting you. You're getting out of here. God's about to set some people free. What you'll see is that man, he wanted to follow Jesus, but he ended up being the evangelist for his region. If we can get one indigenous person completely clean and set free, God can use that local person. The power on the inside of them, the Holy Ghost on the inside of them to set a neighborhood free. How am I doing for time, Pastor? 
I want to tell you a story about Gina Huddleston that will bear out this truth. Gina was a barmaid. She was an alcoholic. She was a uh, drug addict. And, but she had a habit. She liked to play the numbers, liked to gamble the numbers. And one day she heard there was a white preacher with a big tent in the Bronx. She lived in Manhattan. And she heard, out, heard that that, pa, that preacher was handing out lucky numbers. She said every night he'd get up and say, I'm reading from... The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. And in her mind, she thought, well, if the numbers come from the Bible, they got to be lucky. So I'm going to go get me some tonight. God has so many ways of working, folks. I'm, I'm tired of trying to figure him out. Well, Gina came up under that tent, and she saw that white man, and she didn't particularly like white people. But she saw something on him. She felt a presence. She wanted to back away from that presence. But she felt something pushing her. And he started to invite people to come and get free of their sins and get clean. He felt, she felt something pushing her. She didn't want to go. But pushing her to that prayer line. And she saw that white man with that big hand. He was going to smack people on the head. She didn't want to get smacked. They were falling out. They were screaming. She didn't want it, but something kept pushing her, kept pushing her. And she got in front of that white man, my father. He went like this. They hit her hard. Now, I've been hit hard many, many times by that hand. But she said before that hand made contact with her head, she was out on her back completely out, but when she came up, she came up speaking in another language. Jesus completely rectified her life. Emphasis on wreck. <laughs> and when she came up, she was clean. She was clean of the drugs. She had no hunger or thirst for the alcohol or the drugs. So she went back to Harlem. And she lived in a neighborhood that was filled with drug addicts and alcohol, and the first thing she did, she wanted to find somebody and tell them what Jesus did for her. So she went and she got, I, I don't know if it was an alcoholic or a drug addict, but she invited him into her house. She made him tea, and she started to tell him her story, how Jesus set her free. And how she felt the power of God. And she said, then she said, if you want to be free, I'm going to do what that white man did to me. And I'm going to lay my hands on you. And she laid her hands on that person. And just in a matter of seconds, that person was set free. Now, look, she didn't have a degree from NYU. She hadn't been in church all her life. She was baptized in the Holy Ghost, but she had that, that faith that said, if Jesus did it for me, he'll do it for you also. So she went and she grabbed as many people as she could, and she began talking to them about Jesus, and they were set free. So many people came into her apartment that the landlord came to her and said, I'm evicting you. I don't want these kind of people in my house. 
in my apartment, you're out in 30 days. And he was true to his word. 30 days later, she was on the street with her furniture, not knowing where she was going to go, when a big black limousine pulled up. Miracle stories. A man with a suit got out. He comes up right up to her. He says, I'm looking for somebody named Gina Huddleston. She put her hand on her hip. She's a gruff woman. She said, I don't know you. He said, are you Gina? She said, I am. He said, I've heard about you. Do you know you're getting more drug addicts set free than any program in this city? Do you know you're getting more alcoholics clean than anything the government can do? She says, yeah, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even have an apartment anymore. He says, don't worry about that. He said, I own a complete building filled with apartments. And if you keep doing what you're doing, I'll give you an entire floor rent-free. But you got to promise me you're going to keep doing it. She got so many people set free and delivered in a neighborhood that was known for drugs that she became one of the former President Bush's thousand points of life. People heard about her all the way to Washington, D.C. We heard her story. We knew her, but we heard her story. We didn't know her story until it was written up in the paper. See, we don't know the power that's in the Holy Spirit who's resident in us, but there has been unleashed against our minds, against our psyche, all kinds of devils from hell that keep us up at night sleepless, keep us sick and in bondage, keep us filled with fear and anxiety. It's time we recognize that we've got to turn the tables on the devil oh I wish I had time to preach this I'm going to go to one more scripture then I'm going to pray one of the things and I can't go into all of it I think this is going to be a, a book one of the things that God has given us as a tool against the enemy is our voice and if you study this passage we just read how Jesus came into a region and began to say certain things. There was an authority in his voice. He gave permission. You see, when God created Adam, he told Adam to take dominion, right? And, and after he said that, he said, okay, here's the animals. I want you to name them. Listen, that, that instruction wasn't about the animals. That was about Adam getting his voice and authority, and taking dominion. And, the, and if you want to know why we've been masked and told not to go to church and not to sing, it's because the devil knows there's an authority in our voice if we ever just vocalize something. So we are the voice of God on earth. And I want you to turn to Psalm 29. You can meditate on this because then we're going to pray. I was reading uh, this, and I began to shout and glorify God because I had a revelation. If we could just understand the power of the voice of the Lord. Let's start reading Psalm 29, verse 3. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. Who can talk above the ocean? God can. 
The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, glory. Can I, you practice that a little bit? In his temple, everyone shouts, glory. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. This is what you and I need to do. We need to, I think it was Euripides, the guy that stuttered, and he, he wanted to become a lawyer. Was it Euripides? I think it was. One of the things he would do is go down to the ocean, and he began to try to talk over the ocean. And when he got that mastered, he put pebbles in his mouth because he wanted to get rid of the stutter. He wanted to be an eloquent speaker. And so he began to practice to speak with the pebbles in his mouth and speaking loud enough to speak over the roar. And eventually he became a lawyer that went and sued his corrupt uncle and aunt for stealing his inheritance. And he became a top philosopher of his day. We can learn from that, church. The devil wants to keep us shut up with our heads bowed, thinking that we're the ones that have been defeated, but it's time we turn the table on the devil and say, I might have a weak voice, but I'm going to start exercising my voice because the Holy Ghost lives in me. I pray in the Holy Ghost. I, I speak in the Holy Ghost. I speak as an emissary of the Most High God. And when I open my mouth, I'm not going to stutter and spit, but I'm going to lift my voice with the authority that God gives me. I'm going to tell the devil to go back to hell from which he came. I'm going to say Jesus reigns in my body. He reigns in my household. He reigns in my family. He reigns in my city. He reigns in my nation. He reigns in Eastern Europe. Jesus reigns. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I got to give you one more thing. It's so good. See, there's not just an individual voice. There's a collective voice. How many of you remember in the book of Revelation when Jesus, his voice was called as the sound of many waters, right? Revelation 115. And then in Ezekiel 43.2, that same phrase is used of God the Father. He had the voice of many waters. So when you put that together, when Jesus was on earth preaching and teaching, he became the voice of his Father, right? His Father had the voice of many waters. He has the voice of many waters. 
Now get ready to shout. Get ready to shout. I was reading in Revelation chapter 19. This is right about the time of the marriage feast of the bride. And Revelation 19, 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. See, God was giving us a glimpse a glimpse of what he wants to do in his church. I got to exercise my voice, but the church has to exercise their collective voice. Hallelujah. You say, I don't know what to say. He gave us the words to say. If all we say is hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns, that's enough to give the devil shivers and turn him on his face. God wants to unify us in ridding ourselves of every demonic stronghold in our life and replacing it with the confidence and trust of the inward Holy Spirit. So much so that we get our voice back. Time to take the mask off. Time to come out of the closet. Time to get out on the streets and the power of the Holy Ghost. And God's going to use your voice. Gentlemen, you can help me with that. Everybody stand to your feet. Now listen, we've been emphasizing healing and miracles, and if you need one, it's in the house today. And I really believe that there are root causes to things. Sometimes we pray for a sickness, and I've seen God do things instantaneously. But then I've seen things hold on. Because people hold on to their stuff. Could be disobedience. Could be somebody's not tithing. Could be you're watching stuff that you don't need to be watching. Could be that you've been lying like a snake or gossiping. There's a stronghold in your life that has kept you from the purity of God. And whether it's disobedience, there's a scripture that says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you. I talked to the wall here. And you say, well, how do I remedy that? Repent. Real simple. Real easy. Don't have to genuflect. Don't have to flagellate your back. Repent. Drop it. Get rid of it. Clean the house out. You know what I'm talking about. So I want you just to bow your heads for a few minutes, and I'm going to ask, if there are any of you here today that you recognize that there has been an ongoing issue in your life or in your home, your family. It could be anything from anxiety that won't go away, sleepless nights. Some may have thoughts of suicide that won't go away. 
Some may have been beset with all kinds of sickness, one after the other, and it seems like you can't shake it. And you thought, well, my immune system just isn't working. But you recognize that there has been an oppression that's come against you, and it's affected your thinking. And you want to be set free in every way. Some of you, you could point to a sin in your life that God has been convicting you of. And you'll cry for a little bit and repent, but then you go pick it back up again. See, that's causing a perpetual damage in your spirit. But God wants you to be set free today. Whatever it is, he wants you to be set free because he wants to use you. He wants you to set other people free. And today as I pray, I would like to speak to that thing on your life and break its power over you. And I believe when I do that, healings are going to take place. Miracles are going to take place. But it's up to you. If you're here today, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to just ask you to say, Donna, you're talking about me. And just come and stand here in the front. If you've been with me, you know what I like to do. Just form a line shoulder to shoulder from one wall to the next. And I'm just going to come and minister to you as the Spirit leads me. Go all the way to the wall. There's room over here. God's about to set people free today, this morning. Now, don't get quiet on me. Those of you who are not here, I want you to start exercising your voice. Would you do it? There's authority in your voice. The discerning of spirits. God's already touching people. I don't know if it's possible. Can this speaker be moved? Just no, no? Okay, I'll move around it. Thank you, Lord. We were singing a song this morning about the name of Jesus. And as they play that song again, I want you just to declare the name of Jesus over yourself. Would you do it? Just begin to declare the name of Jesus. Just begin to yield to him. There's something that you need to repent of. Now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it. Ooh, Rocco. He remando rossi. Isha Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.